Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Each week you'll hear from us two episodes, the talk and the chat. First up is the talk, and that's the audio version of this week's sermon as preached at Queen's Park Baptist. So this is your opportunity to listen to it again or to listen to it for the first time. And later on in the week, you'll be able to tune in again and download the chat where we gather around and discuss in a bit more detail some of the issues and themes raised in this week's talk. Thanks for tuning in to the talk. We hope you enjoy it. And we look forward to you tuning in again later in the week. Enjoy. As online, welcome to those of you who may be listening uh, via the podcast at some point. Storm, surrender, ordinariness, brave are probably four words that might sum up where we are going to go this morning as we continue our series of looking at uh, various Old Testament characters and what God wants to say to us today um, about what we can learn as to how we live as faithful disciples of Jesus. Last week, Ian preached on the wonderful story of Ruth and Boaz and what this teaches us about grace. And if you remember, if you've read the book of Ruth, if you've not read the book of Ruth, it's not long. Read the book of Ruth. It's a great book. It opens with the lines, in the days when the judges ruled. And this morning, we are in those days. We're going to think about one of those judges. We're going to think about Deborah. Now, that's not to say that Deborah and Ruth and Boaz all lived at the same time. The book of Judges takes place over a period of, well, I don't know how many years. Quite often it says, after a judge, it says, and there was peace in the land for 40 years. There was peace in the land for 80 years. If you add all those up, you get to 200. So it's at least 200 years, probably 400. And actually, when we read Judges, it makes the story of Ruth even more remarkable because very often when it talks about Canaanites, what it's talking about is Moabites. And here's Ruth, the Moabite, included in the family of God. Now we find the story of Deborah in two chapters, chapter four and chapter five. Chapter four, the story's told in a narrative form. And chapter five, it is a song. So you're in good voice this morning. We're going to sing. No, we're not going to sing chapter five because we don't know what the tune is, to be honest with you. Um, And while you can fit various things to Crimmond, I'm not sure this works. So we're going to read the song together. The words will be on the screen just for time. We're going to miss out verses uh, uh, 16 to 18. So here's the song of Deborah. Then Deborah and Barak, son of uh, Abinom, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people offer themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Sir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled. The heavens poured, the clouds indeed poured water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, caravans ceased and travelers kept to the byways. 
the warriors in Israel became fat and there was no fight left in them. Then you arose, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders who fought at the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among the 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Proclaim it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places where they repeated the just deeds of the Lord, the just deeds of his warriors in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for him against the mighty. From Ephraim they set out into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kin. From Machar marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun those who bear the martial staff. The chiefs of Iskar came with Deborah, and Iskar faithful to Barak, into the valleys they rushed out at his heels. The kings came, they fought, they fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Medigal. They got no spoils of silver. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishorn swept them away. The onrushing torrent, the torrent of Kishorn. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse bitterly its inhabitants, because they did not come to help of the Lord, to help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds and a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera a blow. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her legs he knelt, he fell, he lay. Between her legs he knelt, he fell. Where he knelt, there he fell, destroyed. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera gazed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariot? Her wisest ladies make answer. Indeed, she answers the question herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoiled of dye stuffs for Sisera. Spoil of dyed stuffs embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for my neck as spoil. So perish all your enemies, O Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun as it rises in its might. And the land had rest for 40 years. I suspect many of us kind of know the story of Deborah. We perhaps heard it in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school, but we probably heard it from chapter 4 rather than chapter 5. 
Chapter four is the account of a historian. Chapter five is the account of an artist. And artists play a vital role in society as they present truth to us in a way which is more powerful than just mere raw facts. Rather than provide us with raw data, an artist here, a poet or a songster, piles up powerful images and scenes which provoke both our imagination and also stir our emotions, affect our emotions. That's how artists help us. They draw us into the story so that we connect with it. We become emotionally invested, emotionally involved. And in doing so, we experience something new about who God is and something new about ourselves. Now, the song here perhaps takes a bit of work for us. There's not a catchy tune to stir something up within us. And the imagery is not of our time or culture. It is at heart, I think, a song, a poem about how God works in this world. It's not the complete picture. It's not the final word. But it's a theme that helps us pull together what's going on as we think about the song. And the opening verses remind us that Yahweh is the hero of the story. It's God who is the center here. He is the champion of Israel. Verse 4 states, Lord, when you went out from Sir, not Deborah or Barak, Lord, you went out from Sir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled. And then further down in verses 19 to 22, we have this amazing image of the stars joining in on the battle. The waters of Kishorn swept the enemy away. Now, the enemy kind of like used the wadi, a dry riverbed of Kishorn, and the waters swept them away. And that Yahweh is the center of the story is crucial. It reminds us that in everything that we do, in our highs and in our lows, in our triumphs and in our defeats, that it's God who's the center. And the reason that there's this battle in the first place, the reason the book of Judges is full of blood and violence, is because God's people keep failing to put him at the center of their lives, individually and corporately. God's not the author of violence. He's not the author of these battles. These battles are a consequence of human disobedience. Israel keeps end up ending up in violent and bloody battles because of idolatry. The God of Israel, Yahweh, is not like the other gods of the surrounding nations. He has entered into this covenantal relationship with his people, a relationship based on love and faithfulness, a love that is steadfast, that isn't here today and gone tomorrow. But Israel mixed their worship with God up with their worship for other deities, deities who are fickle, gods who can be manipulated and bent to human wants and desires. And so the Israelites treat God like any other god. They look to domesticate him, 
They look to bend his power to their wants and their needs. This is what is happening when we read the book of Judges and it says, and the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The evil there is quite specific. They're worshipping falsely. And this evil led to other evils. It led to conflict. It led to oppression. It leads to war and violence and death. So what are we to make of this? What's that got to do with us? Well, probably lots of things, but here's a couple. First, will he know that God's plan for humankind, for Adam and Eve, for us, did not involve violence and war? This enters with our rebellion against God's good ways, with our overreach, reaching for that which is not ours. And we know that Jesus, who most clearly shows us what God is like, how God acts, commands us to do what? To love our enemies. Tells Peter to put away your sword, which is a command not just to Peter, but to all of us who follow. We know that the church of which Jesus, the Prince of Peace, his head, is a body made up from every tribe, every tongue, every culture group. And as such, it is the reverse of treating people as other, them over there. An otherness, a kind of like a, a, a dividing us, which invariably leads to different forms of violence. But in God's kingdom, you are not other. You are brother. You are sister. How are we doing on that score? Who am I otherizing? Would you look at them down there? Would you look at them in Falkirk? Somebody from Falkirk here. <laughs> Stick me behind the wheel of a car. And I very quickly start to other people in my way, got their driving license from a cereal box. <laughs> oh, that I had a rocket launcher to remove them from the roads. God most certainly has work to do on my heart. And that may be a really trivial example, isn't it? But do you know what? When we let small weeds lodge in our hearts, then do you know what? They grow. And they start to spread and dominate. Rhododendrons are lovely to look at, but they are an invasive species. They take over everything. What are the rhododendrons I'm allowing to grow in my heart? Who am I othering? Because that othering leads to different forms of violence, either verbally or in exclusion. And so often, particularly in our city with its two great others. You know what I mean. Leads to violence. Secondly, do I do what the people of Israel did? Do I try and bend God's purposes and plans to my will, or do I yield, do I submit? Well, it's, it's 
nitties? Am I busy on the oars going, God, I'm going this way, when God wants to take me somewhere else? Do I add to my worship of God other gods, the God of hard work, hoping that God blesses me with success, the God of entertainment, hoping that God blesses me with happiness, the God of sex, hoping that God blesses me with a sense of fulfillment and meaning. And it's not that hard work or entertainment or sex in and of themselves are wrong or bad, but when I give them the worth that is due to God, when I look at them as the primary source for meeting my needs, when life is only found in God, then they become idols. They become objects of false worship. And the answer, of course, to false worship is true worship. And so the song of Deborah starts with worship. Bless the Lord. Make melody to the God of Israel. Now, undoubtedly, unquestionably, it is easier to bless the Lord when you've just had a stunning victory. And that's where we need to be intentional about our worship because every week is not marked by stunning victories. In fact, quite often our weeks are marked with struggle and we got ourselves here by the skin of our teeth. But let's, when we're here, bless the Lord, whatever our circumstances, however we are feeling. The verse says, when leaders lead, when the people offer themselves willingly, willingly, speaks of a people who know that their welfare and the welfare of their nation depends on their willing giving of worship and their participation in what God is doing. Not participation from fear or habit or obligation or duty, but willing hearts and lives. I can't think of how that must have contrasted with Caesar's army. Forced to participate, forced to go in the front. God does not look to coerce our loyalty. He desires our worship, which is freely given, which is wholeheartedly given. Now, that the focus is on God and God's acts doesn't mean that we get to pull up a deck chair, though you can bring a deck chair next week, but we're going to use it in the park, not in here. God acts in a way which is not just for his people, but he invites us to participate in what he is doing so that God acts with us. And to highlight who the heroes are and how God does things, the first people that are mentioned in the song is not Deborah or Barak, but Shamgar and Jael. Sham who? I mean, that's the point, actually. Blink and you miss where he is mentioned. He's mentioned in verse 31 of Judges 3. Jamgal and Jer are nobodies. Indeed, Jael is not even an Israelite. She's a Kenite. I've not seen the Barbie film. We'll resist the Ken Barbie jokes. Now, the Kenites in Israel are kin. But her husband, Hebar, 
has separated off from the other Kenites and has made an alliance with Jabin, the Moabite king, Caesarea's boss. She is, in effect, an enemy of Israel. We live in an age where it's all about profile, all about influence, all about if it's not on Facebook or Instagram, it's not really happened. And we see this in church world, don't we? Yet here are two people we know next to nothing about and of whom we do not hear again who do great things for God. What's more, they accomplish these things in a way that subverts the norms of how war and victory is won. They're not putting money in the pockets of the industrial war machine. Rather, Shangar uses an ox goad, and as we know, Jail uses a tent peg. Now, I'm sure we can all picture a tent peg, but we may need to Google what an ox goad looks like. An ox goad is to a cattle herder what a staff or a shepherd's crook is to a shepherd. It's a, it's a staff that almost has like a pruning hook on the end where you would kind of like grab the yoke of the beast's to get them back in track. It's a stick, a glorified stick. And the point is this, that God does amazing things through that which is ordinary. Two ordinary people, two ordinary things, a tent peg and an ox goad. It speaks to the truth that for God, resources are not an issue that God does not need our much, but our yielded little. Or to put it differently, God doesn't need us to be more than who he has called us to be. He just desires our wholehearted commitment to his purposes. The song changes track slightly, verses 10 to 18. The focus here is on the just deeds of the Lord. And it's here the song starts to highlight and introduce Deborah and Barak. But before we get to Deborah and Barak, there's some strange stuff about white donkeys. And I'm sure this will lead to some equine-related chat in the pod. Jackie, you've been put on warning. And we don't have time to go into all of this this morning. So there'll be an extra bit on the podcast either Monday or Thursday where we'll, we'll kind of like unpack some of that. But the song turns its attention to Deborah and Barak, the tribes of Israel who do participate and also the tribes who can like dither and don't. But the song doesn't say much about Deborah and it doesn't say much about Barak. For more about them, you've got to go back to chapter four. And that the song doesn't say too much about the person who the song is named after reminds us again Yahweh is the champion of Israel. While this is a song of Deborah, the focus is not just on her, but is on multiple players. Deborah is not the lone ranger, she is not the sole leader, but is somebody who recognizes her role, her calling, her gifting, and works within those limits and mobilizes others. And there's a lesson for us all in that, isn't there? For those of us who are leaders, how do I hold that role, that influence, that power? Do I 
recognize my limits? Do I work well with others? Do I recognize your strengths, your callings, your giftedness, the difference between what God has called me to do and what he has called you to do, what I'm responsible for and what you're responsible for? And there's another element to this, I think, about our expectations of leaders and what we want them to do. No doubt there would have been those in Israel who thought that Barak rather than Deborah should have been their judge. I think this is probably a minor view because Deborah seems to command wide respect. Indeed, Barak, when he's, she says, go to the front, she says, I'm not going unless you come with me. And the implication there was he didn't quite feel he had the authority to command the respect of the tribes, but Deborah most certainly had. But there's a danger, isn't there, that we stick our leaders up on a pedestal and say, you do it all while we watch and clap. We almost at times, I think, force leaders to take that solo role when God's way of working is in partnership. It's a symphony, not a solo performance. For churches to make disciples, for churches to grow in maturity and missional effectiveness, then we know, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4, that we need multiple ministries, multiple leaders. Not one person carries it all. There still needs to be somebody in charge. In this case, it's Deborah, a most remarkable, anointed, gifted woman. But how God works through her is a reminder to us that God connects us to and places us with others whom he is called to lead and participate in working out his promises. And that's the same both for individuals and churches. We are not the only church in the city. He's called us to work with, to cheer on, to pray for, to cooperate with others to see his purposes done, to see the city called to life in him. The song moves on from Deborah and Barak to praise Jael. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. Jael is, of course, most famous for killing Caesar with a tent peg. We left this till most people had done their camping. But it's she who kills the leader of the enemy army reminds us that God does not always work how we expect according to the stereotypes that we have. And we've noted already that she's not an Israelite. She's a Kenite. Her husband is in alliance with the Moabite king. And yet it's jail, an outsider, a woman, a housewife, a person with no public role or profile who seals a victory by killing Caesarea. God works in unexpected ways. We know it, we say it, but so often we act surprised when that's what happens. But there's a dark side to the story which reminds us that while God works, while God is good, that his love is for us, while he acts in our world to heal and to save, 
at this point, we live in a broken world in which sin and death and evil are still present. Why does jail take a tent peg and do in Caesar's head? And I think the answer is in verse 27. Between her legs he knelt, he fell, he lay. Between her legs he knelt, he fell. Between where he knelt, there he fell, destroyed. Now, chapter 5 is most probably written by a woman. After all, it's called the Song of Deborah. And if that's the case, then I think one of the reasons that we've got differences between chapter 4 and chapter 5 is chapter 4 is the logical man writing as a historian. But also what Jail would have disclosed to two, these two people would be different. Jail discloses a bit more to a woman as to what has happened to her. In both chapters, she goes above and beyond the hospitality that was required. She doesn't do the minimum by bringing water, but milk and curds. But the language of verse 27 that we just read suggests that Jael is a victim of sexual violence. Twice it uses the phrase, between her legs, which in the idiom of this period would have been understood sexually, would have been understood as referring to intercourse. Anthea Groscope, an Old Testament professor based in the Philippines, says the sexual references conjure up images of rape, violent, lusty, forceful. And I think this reading is warranted because of the words of Caesar's mother, no less. She and her maids are looking out the window going, where are they? Where's Caesar? I would have expected them back now, assuming that they had the victory. And say, oh, I know why they're late. They're dividing the spoil amongst themselves because that's what conquering armies do. And many English translations translate the next sentence as saying a woman or two for each man. But the Hebrew word is not for a woman. It literally is the word womb. Caesar's mother describes the practice which shockingly is still with us today. Turn on your news reports about what is happening in any conflict of the world. And soldiers after military conflict commit acts of sexual violence against local women. Speaking not only of a false sense of entitlement, but the mother refers to the women as wombs. Indicates a mindset where She's not talking about people, but things. The ultimate form of othering somebody, where we don't see the person as a person, but you see them as a category or as a thing. Given what has happened to her, jail grabs what's at hand, a tent peg and a hammer, and she fights back, killing Caesar in the process. Earlier I said that one of the things that songs and poetry do is evoke emotions. This is emotional. Horrifies me. Makes me feel it here. And for some of you, the response is probably even more than that because you have experienced sexual violence similar to or the same as jail. 
The RISE report carried out by Scottish Women's Aid and the YMCA in 2021-22 reported that over a third of the young women that they spoke to, women in this city, women in Dundee, women in Edinburgh, were the victims of violence towards them, including sexual violence. The World Health Organization notes that one in three women worldwide have experienced either physical and or sexual intimate partner violence or non-partner sexual violence in their lifetime. Horrific. What are we to make of this? What does this say to us? I think the first thing to note is that it's there in the song. This is something which rather than be hidden and ignored in the shadows, is brought out into the light. Bringing it out into the light challenges that behavior, challenges the behavior of men like Sisera and the attitudes of his mother which sustain a culture in which this kind of violence can take place. Jail, a victim, transcends that category to become the hero. Secondly, it reminds us that Jail took immediate action in response to what was happening to her. Now, I am not suggesting that women respond to violence with yet more violence. We've already noted that Jesus commands us to take the way of peace and to put away our sword. However, Jesus' command to love our enemies is not a command to inactivity. And it's most certainly not a command to suffer in silence and stay in an abusive relationship. Jill acts. She acts quickly. And if you or someone you know has been the victim of violence, including sexual violence, you need to act. Act by removing yourself from that situation to a safe place and take further appropriate action so the perpetrator cannot do this to you or others again. We hear no more of Jill. We don't know the details of how her story progresses. Was it a story, was it a journey of healing and recovery? Possibly, hopefully. If it was, it was a lengthy journey. It took time. The song says that jail is blessed, but that doesn't mean that it was easy. It does suggest, however, that she knew God's favor upon us. The answer scripture gives to why bad things happen to good people, indeed why bad things happen to bad people, is that in our present age, there's a thief. A thief who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. God did not will or intend for Jael to experience what she did. Nor did he intend for you or for people that you know to suffer such violence. That's the work of the thief the enemy of our souls, the enemy of God. And so we are called to a battle, not against flesh and blood, 
but against the powers and authorities that have been co-opted by the thief to unleash violence and bring death and destruction. And we participate in this battle by uniting ourselves to Christ, who came to give life, and life in all its fullest. And so we seek in him in our own lives to call to life that which has been stolen from us and killed within us. We participate in this battle by living, by walking, by the Spirit, which means that we live in that opposite spirit, where unlike Caesar's mother who othered and made women just objects, we acknowledge that each of us is made in God's image. The even, as Matthew 25 reminds us, among the least of these, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, they show us who Jesus is. The song ends with a cry for God to continue to act in justice against his enemies and to bless those who love him. And so I think that must be our response to we've come full circle. We echo this cry for God to act justly, to bless those who love him by praying the words that Jesus taught us. Your kingdom come. Don't want it to be like it is. I want to see your transformation, your change, your kingdom come. Your will be done here now as it is in heaven. Give us today that which we need. Give us our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors because if we are not forgiven, then we've got hard hearts and we're starting to otherize people. And don't bring us into time of trial but rescue us from the evil one because you are the king of glory and your kingdom knows no end. Your kingdom is a kingdom of peace. So come your kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's Calling a City to Life talk. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again later in the week for the chat. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.